Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Public Safety Now on Hexagon Radio. I'm your host, John Whitehead, Vice President of Sales for U.S. Public Safety at Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure Division. Today, we've got a conversation uh, with Scott Calderwood, and I'm excited to bring Scott in as a guest. His new role now is Director uh, of El Paso Communications, and it's been awesome. Some of the things that they have done over the last several years uh, as they... They've gone from their downtown location uh, through the planning phase and opening up their new 911 communication center. Uh, and, and, and as you're going to hear him talk here in just a little bit, I think it's much more than that. In my background, I remember when we were redoing our comm center, uh, it was kind of fun, right? You know, we, we called the local contractor in and we knew we were going to get, you know, fresh coat of paint, some new, uh, tiles, some new carpet on the walls, maybe a new, new door or two. And, you know, the conversation really went more to just how would you build an office? And since that time, uh, in talking to Scott, I've realized there's actually a science behind it. So I'm excited today to talk to him about that. And, and we're going to go kind of go down that road and hopefully talk about a few other things that are of interest here as we talk about how well that planning uh, turned out for some of their major incidents. So, Scott, welcome and uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks, John. Hey, Scott. So tell me a little bit about your background before we jump in, you know, to all the details. Tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get where you are? And, and oh, by the way, congratulations. I know you've just recently been named director uh, there in El Paso, 911. So congratulations on that promotion. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got where you're at? So I started public safety as a firefighter for the El Paso Fire Department. And I worked there for over 25 years and retired as a uh, deputy chief. The, uh, the last three or four years, uh, my assignment was as the emergency management coordinator for the city and county of El Paso. It's kind of a separate office, but it's managed by uh, El Paso Fire. And that was really the transition that kind of led me into into the 911 world when you're when you're in the emergency management world you you really get exposed to uh to just about everything it's it's kind of amazing how much uh emergency management uh really affects and touches and has to interact with and so i i kind of got introduced to 911 through that our emergency operations center was co-located with with the dispatch center at our old facility downtown and so I became interested in, in 911 and knowing that I needed another career after fire, kind of uh, kind of taught myself a little bit of 911. And uh, Mary, my previous director, was, you know, kind enough to bring me on board. And then uh, five years working for the El Paso County 911 district, uh, I've taken over as director. Nice. Well, once again, congratulations. That's a uh, 30 years in the in the emergency service industry. Boy, you've seen a lot of changes as well then over the years, I'm assuming, huh? I really have. It's uh, it's it's kind of, uh, especially in the 911 world, you know, we're at a really interesting time right now, as you know, from, uh, you know, when I first came on, they were just uh, answering phones and really taking calls on pen and paper. So I, I kind of got in. Hmm before we even had computers. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting how how you can go in just a short time. And we've had numerous conversations here about the technologies and the tools that are available for 911. But, you know, as I started at my career back in the 90s, uh, looking at it where we were and where we're at today, it, it is just amazing. Uh, you're right. I mean, I've got agencies that I talk to that I remember all across the U.S., that when we'd go in and sit there and talk to them, they'd say, we don't have computers or I'm training my dispatchers on how to use a mouse because uh, they've been using paper and pencil and punch cards to keep times. And that that's what they're that's what they're familiar with. And now you fast forward to where we're at today. And it's just a, it's just a whole different world when it comes to 911 and the emergency services in general. It is. And it and, and I mean, you point out, I remember when I when we got the first computers in the stations and they they told these firefighters that they were going to be making their reports on computer that that led to the retirement of a of a whole generation of people just on that and then you <laughs> yeah. fast forward to where we are now and and technology started to move at light speed just you know just about 10 years ago and that's our challenge in 911 right now is to try and keep up with with how fast these technologies are moving yeah, it, and that's an interesting point because you're right. As 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 nine one one professionals, you know, we always want the the right tools at the right time for that for that next call. And but keeping up with that sometimes can be a daunting a daunting tale. And I think that that is probably one of the things as as I talk to people that uh, I don't want to say keeps keeps directors like yourself up at night, but it's definitely got to be in the planning stages. It's definitely got to be part of that process. Is you know, we don't want to be too far on that bleeding edge, if you will, but we have to stay cutting edge to be able to to give the population and the and, and the people what they need and what they expect out of the 911 center. That's our challenge. That's what does keep directors up at night. Yeah. So it's so that the reason for this conversation is because in my mind, that's really where my mind's been is that software and hardware and and the the items that you need the telephony pieces the reporting and analytics that's that's really been the focus right how do we keep and provide those tools to our first responders and and make sure that they have those tools and then i started seeing what el paso was doing and and more specifically what you were doing scott in in the planning stages um uh, for your new 911 center and once then you guys opened up the doors and you went live at that 911 center. I remember my first visit down there. I actually walked away with some notes that I was actually amazed. I had no idea the same type of thought process needed to go into facilities. And we've talked about facility security on here and the importance of that and some of that stuff. But I'm talking the actual facility itself. So that's really kind of the next thing I want to I really just want to go down, Scott, is just kind of hear a little bit of background about, you know, maybe some of the planning stages and things that uh, you guys decided to take into uh, consideration before just throwing up some lights and some walls within a new center. Well, so when we're talking about facilities we uh we kind of we, we kind of talk about being interoperable all the time you know getting everybody on common radio stations um getting everybody on common platforms where they can communicate but we tend to think about that in a silo of our own agency we tend to think about that in terms of 911 or in terms of you know public safety so 
when when we built this facility, and let me back up a little bit, um, having the having the background of being an emergency manager, and then uh, having people in our in in our agency that understood nine one one. I had uh, I had Mary Kozak as my mentor, and uh, she had over forty years of nine one one experience. So when, when we got together to plan this building. We wanted to build a facility that would allow for interoperability and local control of any emergency or disaster. And so that was kind of the overall starting point or, or the vision, if you will, of our facility. We, we wanted to ensure that if there was something going on that not only could did we have, you know, all of the technologies to communicate, but really until you have all of the all of the players, all of the people in in one place, that's where you really get interoperability, that, that face-to-face communication. So that was kind of the vision from the very beginning was how, how could we, who, who needed to be included in the building and how could we set up the building to make it the, the, the epicenter for local control. Yeah, so give me some examples. So, of course, you know, the call taking and call handling for the 911 center, but then EOC. Uh, g- give me some other examples. What 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 else was considered in that in that thought process? Well, like I said, coming from an emergency management background, I had a really good idea of 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 what we needed when when we had some sort of an emergency or a disaster. Mm-hmm. And an emergency operations center is basically uh, an intelligence gathering uh, entity, but some of the best intel that you can that you can gather comes from comes from your dispatch center. I mean, your your telecommunicators are they're getting reports directly from the public, and they're also in communication with the the men and women on the street there, the the police and fire. So they've got. They've got a, a wealth of, you know, intel. And mm-hmm. so another thing that I did notice when we did our emergency operations was we, just locally speaking here in El Paso, were missing uh, an intel part, uh, law enforcement intel part. And uh, often we were missing the, the police, the PD function in our emergency operations center. So we wanted to bring in the police department here has a fusion center. It's kind of an intelligence gathering and sharing uh, entity that's made up of uh, local, state, and federal uh, law enforcement representatives. Mm-hmm. So I made a pitch to the police chief here uh, to bring that into the center, and 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 uh, and he agreed. So when we built our center, we put the emergency operations center in there. We brought in the police department's fusion center, and then we had our dispatch center. And we felt with those three, uh, we really had a core for, for great intel uh, gathering and and sharing. And it's interesting because when you say interoperability and common platform, you're right. I think uh, myself, probably a lot of people listening to this, immediately went to the uh, – yeah, we must have radios that we can all talk together on, and 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 I have to be able to to pass calls within the within the nine one one software over to the mobiles that are responding. What about my neighboring agencies doing mutual aid? But 
you know, it's interesting when you say this interoperability common platform, you're taking it to a whole nother level. And I think that that was really the, the part that, that intrigued me was, you know, whether it is the fusion center, the EOC, the 911 center, put in the facilities to where all of those agencies normally set up separately around a city or a county can, can be interoperable. And I'll use the overuse that word within the same building. And I think that, that that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, we um, we really wanted to to kind of build that platform. And 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 back to your to your point, you know, you can have everybody on on a common radio frequency, but you can overload that common radio frequency. And so where you're going to get your where you're going to get your communication really is just having decision makers all in the same building, or at least within a distance a short distance so yeah so you guys set up the plan to make sure you had all of that within a short distance if you will with so i can you know pass along data and we can all work together uh i know that you've also put in places for like uh media to where the media had a place and you guys could could hold a media uh, type of event uh of course the you know the administrative offices and and support uh, and that type of stuff. Uh, so the center is amazing just in of that of itself and what you guys kind of thought as far as having them in the room. But now I, I guess the other part then is whenever we walked into the 911 center and I'm going to say the sciences behind, uh, be, behind what you did. But from the moment you walk into your 911 center, it feels different. Um, I, I jokingly said, right, when I was uh, when I was helping redo uh, our our center, you know, new carpet, putting up a wall, putting in some doors, you know, we went down to the local, uh, you know, uh, Lowe's type of place or Home Depot, if you will, and said, you know, hmm, I wonder which fluorescent lights we should put in the ceiling. Oh, these look pretty decent and these fit in the budget. Um and that, you know, again, '90s. That, that's what we did as far as the thought process that went through. I flip a switch, the light comes on. Tell us a little bit about the sciences and kind of what you guys did for uh, just in the 911 center itself and for your employees there. So, so when we built the facility, and, and just to give people kind of an idea, this this is a, a 100,000 square foot uh, building. So it is it is quite substantial. And if you're gonna if you're gonna build a if you're going to build a building and, and you want to be able to use it for like an emergency operations center, 99 plus percent of the time, the the designed functionality of that building is not going to be used. So we stressed uh, multi-purpose. Uh, we have several large uh, boardroom. We have an auditorium. We have uh, multi-purpose training facilities that during our day-to-day -day use are, are used by uh, local government and uh, public safety entities for trainings and such, but we designed all of those uh, to become part of the emergency operations center. So the entire building, although it's multi-purpose, uh, was designed to transition during a disaster uh, into, into a multi-purpose or into a, into a functioning emergency operations center. And uh, we we did see that when we had our when we had our latest activation, we had over 300 people respond to the building, and we were able to absorb them pretty easily. 
<laughs> yeah, and uh, for those of you that, that are listening and, and paying attention, right, I think you're talking about on, on August 3rd here just a few months ago, um, the mass shooting that occurred at the Walmart there, there in El Paso. And it, it's, uh, you know, just a, just a devastating event that that type of thing can happen. Uh, and, and we hate to hear that kind of news. But the first thing that I thought of when I'm sitting here and I, and the news report comes on was, you know, this is where, this is where all of this thought process that you put into your building is going to come into, to play. So within a year after go live, uh, are opening up this new center. Now you have this large incident. So tell us a little bit about the results on that side. How did you, uh, how, how did that work out for you whenever everyone now had to come under the same roof to work an incident of that magnitude? So, yeah, when you, when you have an incident of that magnitude, it, it, you know, it's going to test, it's going to test anybody's capabilities and, and, you know, we're not unique in that situation. We, uh, we got tested, uh, pretty significantly, but the building performed, uh, as designed. So, and that, you know, that was pretty, that was pretty exciting to me. I know it's a, it's a, it's a terrible incident, but it was really nice to see that all of the planning and, uh, and things that we put into the building were actually working as designed. So EOC was set up and, and, you know, all of a sudden you have emergency management and all types of different law enforcement personnel there in your building. Um, was there anything that, that, that kind of stands out as far as, you know, whenever you, whenever it kind of clicked in your mind, oh, okay, this is, this is exactly the way we, we, we saw these large scale events going down. Was there any one thing or any, at any time period when it kind of clicked to you that this was working or we just wrapped into the event? When, uh, when I, I initially responded, uh, almost immediately after hearing that, because I knew that the, the EOC would be, would be activated. And so there were, there were quite a few people from the EOC staff and the people that first get um, get notified to respond there. They were making uh, requests, you know, okay, so we need a, we need a place for, uh, for PD to set up their, their command uh, post and we have a place for it. Hey, we've got this, uh, this conference room that's set up for that. Uh, the media is arriving. We have a place to house the media where they can they can walk into the lobby, walk into the boardroom. They can set up there. It's it's sizable, and we can also do our uh, our press conferences in the same room. We can get VIPs in and out of that room without going through the media. Every time they were making a request, hey, we need to set up this or we need to do that. Um, we had a space for it, or we had we had planned for it. Never once did the uh, did the emergency management staff have a, a need that uh, facility wise that we were that we were not prepared to meet that that's when I knew that things were working right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great testament to the work in the in the planning that went into that building. And so from a dispatcher point of view, I mean, I'm sitting in the room, my stress levels up. I've got multiple calls probably coming in and and all of the things that are happening. And yet. In some agencies, the way we design them, there's a, I'm going to say an interruption. I don't mean it to sound as negative as it does, but all of a sudden, you know, uh, executives with the city or the county come walking through 
they're going to the EOC or, or they're, they're pulling, they're pulling manuals or they're setting up this room and they're doing all of these things. And it, and, and it can be disruptive, right? Because it's out of the norm. So in your center, your 911 uh, personnel, whether they're call taking or dispatching, uh, all of these other actions are happening, but yet they stay in their area and do their, and do their job. Is that, is that the way that it, that it functioned? We, yeah, we've set, we've set the building up. Uh, with what I call adjacencies. And so the the call floor is directly across the hall from the emergency operations center because they need to have they need to be adjacent during uh, during a disaster. but but they're also but they're also isolated. the the entire uh, the entire north side of the building is uh, designed to be emergency management, intelligence, uh, type functions and it's separated from the from the call floor, but it's close enough that uh, that the two sites can interoperate. So the so the the telecommunicators, even though they're distracted by a large scale incident, are not affected by the hundreds of people that are flowing into the building. They they really don't even notice. Yeah, that is so nice, and that that is, I think, the 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 coolest thing about when I walked into your building, the way that the way it was laid out and the floor plan, and all of this thought process that really goes down to, you know, let let my dispatchers, let my call takers, uh, for that matter, let people in the EOC, let the media, let everybody do what they do best, and not be stepping over each other and getting each other's way uh, in in interrupting workflows. Uh, those those incidents have got to be stressful enough, but yet your dispatchers, your call takers, in the height of all of this, and in and, and in the height of the number of calls that are coming in, um, they didn't have to deal with someone setting up an EOC right next door and banging chairs and getting stuff ready. You guys had those things segregated, which is just a great, like I said, testament to the to the planning stage there. So, so, let, so it let, goes it goes even farther onto the onto the call floor. We we've set the. The, the, the call floor has about 100 positions on it, and that includes uh, call-taking uh, city and uh, city police and fire dispatching, county call-taking, county dispatching for sheriff's office, city 311, and, and several other functions. So it's, it's a pretty sizable floor, but mm-hmm. we, built, we built the floor to be able to expand uh, in, an, in a disaster. So we normally run about... I'd say our average is about 10 call takers uh, on the city side. And during this incident, we were able to double the number of call takers. Uh, Within less than 45 minutes, we had doubled from 10 to to 19 call takers. And we already have the positions built uh, for them to flow into. They don't have to do anything special. They just recall you know, off-duty people, they come in, they sit down, they log on, and they're taking calls. That's uh, that's kind of a, a, a pre-planning thing. The, the police department has additional uh, workstations, and they went from 8 to 13 uh, mm. dispatchers in a short period of time. We have an overflow auxiliary pod that's designed to be used by um, some of our smaller agencies uh, when they need mm-hmm. to bug out, but it's also got a a dual purpose in uh, in this particular case, that particular auxiliary pod became uh, a police department pod. And mm. they don't need to do anything special either there. They come in and they, they log on to their CAD system and they, based on their username, they're presented with the the view of CAD that they're 
always uh, used to seeing. So we we were really happy that you know the functionality on the call floor, both in design and technologically, uh, was able to expand uh, with no problems. Man, that is so nice, especially especially in an incident like this where all of a sudden you've just got multiple calls coming in and now you've got this thing set up and everyone is is able to come in, handle the incidents that are coming in, handle what I'll say overflow of calls that are coming in. And, you know, I, as you're sitting here talking, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the deputy chief in you, right? It's all about pre-planning. It sounds like there was probably some tabletop drills and, and a lot of thought that went into what if this and what if that. And, uh, you know, as they say, the proof is in the pudding, right? Uh, I mean, you know, no agency's ever expecting a mass shooting. Um, you know, it's just, it's just an uncomfortable reality of the world that we're in, though. And it sounds like you guys were ready for what happened that day. So one of the things that we did that kind of, uh, in hindsight, was really a great idea is when we were still in the planning stages, when we had, when we had the blueprints of the building, I would mentally walk the building as an employee. Uh, you know, today I am a, you know, a call taker and mentally walk the building all the way from, you know, I park my car here and I would try and envision, envision, you know, I walk in this door. This is where I need to go first. Uh, you know, I, I need to go, my, I need to hit the time clock. I need to go to my day locker. I need to go to my mm-hmm. shift meeting room. I need, so we would plan everybody's day, but we also planned, uh, big events on paper. And in fact, we even threw a timeout in the planning process to give us more time. And it, it is so easy to, to make a change when you've got, when you've got a drawing in front of you rather than after you've, you know, already put some walls up. If you want to make a change in that drawing, it's going to cost you pennies. If you want to make a change after you put a wall up, it's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars. Right. And so we actually took a two month timeout to to make sure that that we had uh, what we wanted and I know a lot of uh, jurisdictions don't have the luxury of of taking that time but I think that that's essential and I think that taking the time when you're in that planning stage uh, is going to pay dividends in the long run yeah and I think that that's the uh, you know the, the, the pre-planning aspect right the walkthroughs making sure that that we're that we're accounting for all situations and the what ifs that go into that. And it sounds like there was some, some good ideas there. And if we keep going with the day and, and how that workflow went after that incident, then uh, as, as anyone paying attention to the media knows uh, you had a presidential visit now. And so, you know, you mentioned a hundred thousand square foot facility. And, and one of the things you didn't mention though, is you've got a sally port to where uh, vehicles can actually drive in, in the back. Uh, you were telling me a little bit about, uh, and, and if you can share this publicly, some of the some of the things that happened and how well it worked off, how well it worked out uh, to have the president actually at your facility. Can you can you discuss how that happened? Sure, uh, and and that's I, I tell you that's pretty exciting. If you've never had a president come into your facility, that that's that's two or three days of of craziness. Mm. That's that's pretty fun. Um, so we did have the uh, Secret Service advanced team come to El Paso and say that the president wanted to visit, and they were looking around for a place for him to visit. And after touring our facility, they decided that they wanted to do it right here. So 
um, you know, we, we were pretty excited, but it, it's, it's quite an endeavor when, when, when the president comes in, they have every second of his visit planned and, and the entourage that travels with him, there's, there's, there's a hundred people in that entourage. It's, it's, mm. it's pretty crazy. So yeah, we, we do have a, a, a a sally port. We have a place where large vehicles can can actually drive in. We store uh, communications related command posts and and such. So we were able to drive the president inside the building, close the door, and have him secured. And the Secret Service was thrilled with that. But I can't take credit for that in the planning. That was uh, that's just a happy accident. <laughs> yeah, because what we're not telling is, you know, because there's some people I think listening to this that says, well, it must be nice. El Paso, you're building from the ground up. You can plan this whole thing the way you want it. For those of you, if you didn't catch it at the beginning, though, this was a pre-existing building. So what you had was, you know, those, those that garage area, if you will, was already part of the building. And then you guys incorporated that into your floor plan as you were uh, gutting the old and rebuilding the new, right? Well, we, we did have a it's a 100,000 square foot manufacturing facility and we did gut it completely and, and actually that is there um it's a it's twenty thousand square feet but it's actually future growth it's it's more of the planning to make sure that this building is viable for the next 20 years there's there's twenty thousand square feet of unfinished uh floor space that we can use uh, much like we much like we planned uh, years worth of growth into the call floor. We've planned years worth of growth into the building. Well, it worked out well. You know, President Trump could just drive in, park his vehicle right there, and um, head on in the uh, media room. So it sounds like uh, a lot of that planning and even having that open area there worked out well for you guys. It so did. Scott- we, had the, we had the president here. We had we had the, the governor, uh, Abbott, from Texas. We had him here twice. We had uh, Senator Cruz. We had every... Uh, Every local uh, official, every local, you know, uh, elected official in in our county mm-hmm. came over here, and and we actually have a place for them as well. We we had a we had a room designed uh, during that during that disaster to to put uh, dignitaries. Well, that is that is great. Like I said, it all goes back to the the work. Uh, and the pre-planning that you and the staff did there uh, to make sure you guys had what you need. In hindsight, Scott, was there anything, though, that you guys wish you'd have done differently? Did, did, did you find anything that you said, boy, I wish we'd have done this, and that would have really helped us prepare for this type of an event? Um, not really. Uh, from from our perspective, we, we, we were thrilled with how, with how well our systems worked, how well our building performed. Um, we, of course, we had a parking problem, but uh, <laughs> that's that's going to be that's going to be beyond beyond our control. But that's no, right. we were we were very very pleased. Man, that is a that is a great position to be in, and that that is a that is a great answer. And okay, before we go, I tried pulling out of you earlier, and uh, and you and you didn't you didn't hit on it. So I'm just going to fly. Okay, you got to talk about those cool lights that you put into that dispatch center. So, so one of the things that we did do was when we were building this center, we understood how difficult it is to be a telecommunicator. Um, and, and coming from the fireside over here to 911, you know, I, I have a new respect for, for dispatchers and the job that they do. It's, it's, it's incredible. They, they work long hours. They're tethered to a computer. They get, you know, short breaks. And so 
they end up, you know, sitting in one place for a really long time. In in our old center, the the lights were they were rather dingy, and people really didn't have an idea of you know even what time of day it was. I, I had heard people say before, you know, that they walked outside and it was super bright, and they thought it was nighttime. You know, they end up working a double shift, sixteen hours or something. So we wanted to put a lot of amenities into this into the building to just kind of help. Uh, you know, create a healthy environment for employees. And so one of the really unique things that we did is we have very tall ceilings on the call floor, uh, which helps. They're, they're 24 foot tall ceilings and they have, uh, if you will, they're, they're light clouds. They are um, sections that have, you know, lighting and, and they're at different levels throughout. Uh, we incorporated skylights, but they're, uh, they're very diffuse. You really don't even notice that they're there. And we change the lights in the center every two hours. It runs on a program. So every two hours, the lights either get brighter or dimmer. And they, they start getting brighter throughout the day to kind of mimic the, the circadian rhythm of the sun. And about five or six o'clock in the evening, they start to get darker until about two or three o'clock uh, in the morning. And it, it does a couple of things. One, it, it you know, like I said, it, it kind of lets people have an idea of, you know, what is what is it like outside? What is the time of day? It keeps them in rhythm with what's going on. And the second thing is, is it gives them kind of an environmental refresh. So every couple of hours, the lights change. And, and we did read some studies on this. There were some studies that suggested that um, employee productivity increased uh, following a change in the ambient light of their environment for about a 30 minute period. So when we, when we read that, we liberally applied our own interpretation that, you know, what is causing them to, to, you know, must be something making them feel good about themselves, whether the light got brighter or dimmer. And so we just decided that we would vary the lights throughout the day. And it seems to work really well. I've had, very little, if not any, complaints about lighting in the call center when in our old facility, I probably fielded about 10 a day of those. I got to tell you, I had to bring it up because I think it is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And just, uh, you know, you're you're sitting there telling me about the circadian rhythm. And, you know, I'm going back to my days as a dispatcher where we used to fight. Should the lights be on or should the lights be off? And now all of a sudden you're taking it to a whole nother level now working with your personnel's internal clock and their their natural rhythm throughout the day. I mean, this is this just it's just a neat type of aspect to be able to put into the center. And, you know, it's that next thing to be able to show the dispatchers that, you know what, you guys have got a tough job and you're in there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even on holidays. And, and, and there's no time to go over there and just and just relax. Let's go ahead and see if we can put these types of things in there that just naturally uh, make it more pleasant environment to be into. And I got to tell you, just standing in that room, there's just a different feel and a, and a different aspect to the 911 center, which is really cool. We try to do a few other things. Um, you know, we filter the air in there. There's carbon dioxide sensors in there. If, if, if the air level gets out of our standard, it brings in, you know, fresh air from the outside. Uh, we pipe in a measured amount of white noise. Um, we really try to ad uh, address the acoustics. So I don't, I don't know if you remember when we stand there, you can have a normal conversation anywhere in the building and you're not, 
disturbing anybody. So we just tried to make that environment uh, kind of unique. Plus, aesthetically also, we, we really wanted to uh, to make it look good. So we, we put some really neat stuff in there, too. Yeah, Scott, you guys did a great job. And you know what? I do need to just say congratulations to Mary Kozak. You mentioned her uh, in the years and years of service that she gave uh, to El Paso and to the emergency service community. And she just recently retired. So congratulations to Mary. And and we wish her the best as she goes in and just is able to hopefully relax a little bit. Uh, Scott, I've said it once, but I'll say it again. Congratulations uh, on being named the new director there at the El Paso County 911 district. And I really just want to thank you for being our guest today. Uh, a lot of cool stuff that El Paso is doing. And again, even in the midst of tragedy, I hate to hear that that happened. Uh, but it sounds like if you have to find any type of, 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 of bright spot in this dark, dark type of incident, it was the pre-planning and the thought that you and the staff put into the center and how well it works. So, again, thank you for being our guest today here, Scott. Uh, to hear additional episodes or learn more, visit us at hxgnspotlight.com. And thanks for tuning in. <laughs>